Lord, we do give you thanks for your care and meeting all of our needs in this life. We look to you and trust you. We give back to you in gratefulness and in hope and in anticipation for how you will meet all of our needs. Lord, we long for the day when our needs are erased because we will be with you and all of the longings of our hearts will be fulfilled. There will not only be no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow, but there will be no more physical needs. You will be our all in all. We long for that day. And so as we give back to you, may we taste of that hope. May you reassure us of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 1. Revelation 17, 1, this is God's word. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, at seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And for the beast that was not and is, that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful." And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. They and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is God's word to us. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, would you now give us the great wisdom that is required, that is necessary to understand what your word says to us. Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word. Guide and direct us, give us understanding, convict us, encourage us, help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This section that we're coming into is a continuation of the bowls, and you notice that when you see that John's guide is one of the angels that held and poured out one of the bowls. And so what we have here is kind of a zooming in on the final judgments, the sixth and seventh bowls. So we're getting more detail. This is not a separate event. This is connected. We're getting a fuller explanation, even an interpretation of the judgment that is to come. Now, you notice from your bulletin that it says Babylon the Great and the whole text is listed, but I realized and felt peace about <laughs> not tackling the whole passage uh, after the bulletin was printed. So that's why it's, this is part one. We're going to deal with the rest in part two. It just was too much as I uh, was trying to get everything packed in. I realized that. So we're really going to look at just the first part. But I want us, I say that because I want us to keep the whole in mind together. And really 17 and 18, uh, it continues on. So I want us to keep that in mind as well. You'll notice in chapter 17 that only in verse 16 do we say, see the specific mentioning of the judgment of Babylon. But it is being described throughout this section 17 and 18. And we'll see that more clearly a lot of the information that we're getting here is what Babylon is. And so that's what I want to focus on today to help us grasp and understand what Babylon is. Now, in many of your Bibles, you might see the heading over the pericope of chapter 17 that says something like the great prostitute and the beast or some version of that. You may have harlot. And you may think to yourself, I can't remember the last time Prostitution was a subject on Sunday morning at church. This is not what I came to hear. Um, it may be something that we're uncomfortable with hearing or talking about in church. That's okay. Uh, at least in this context, I think it is okay for us to be uncomfortable with this. Because part of the problem and part of who the prostitute is and what she represents is this alluring, this seduction. And so for us to feel uncomfortable, I think, is a sign of spiritual health. What she does really is kind of the frog in the kettle, as we will see. And so the struggle that's before us is not to be lured by her. And so the question then comes up, who is the prostitute? What is Babylon? And what is the connection to the beast? And I will tell you that while I'm going to try and explain all of that, the answer isn't necessarily simple. I think many of us want specific, name it, tell me what it is so I can point to it and say, that's it. Folks, I want the same thing. <laughs> but some of these symbols uh, are much more difficult to do that with. However, I do think that we can see what Babylon and the prostitute and the beast are. We've talked some about the beast, Babylon the prostitute we'll deal with today. But I want us to keep in mind verse 9 that we just read. This calls for a mind with wisdom. And so we need wisdom to understand this. Now the beast we've already been introduced to previously. We know who the beast is. When the beast rose out of the sea, he represents 
the governing authorities, the kingdoms of this world used by Satan to promote his agenda and to try and overcome the church of Christ. He is Satan's pawn. And the beast is been, he has been at work or it has been at work throughout church history and will until he is judged. John in his epistle speaks of little a antichrists, speaks of them in the plural. And this is, the, 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 they are the work of the beast. Uh, the beast, I think, will be personified in the end in a singular figure that is the Antichrist. That's, we're going to get to that eventually. Um, the man of lawlessness, as we're told in Thessalonians. Whether that figure is a person or an entity, we'll leave that to a later discussion. Uh, what that's actually going to look like, we'll talk more about later. But that is the work of the beast. It is through these little a antichrists. And so the reason I say that is you can understand this as, as that which is opposed to Christ at work in the world. The prostitute here is really a parody of the body of Christ or the bride of Christ, the church. We've seen a number of parodies or counterfeits already. We've seen a counterfeit of the Trinity. Uh, Satan is not creative. He is a copycat. He is a counterfeit, he's a liar, and he's a deceiver. And so the symbols that are used to represent his work portray these types of things. If you remember when we saw the Bride of Christ in Revelation 12, for example, she was portrayed as a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's described there as being pregnant and ready to give birth. And we understand that the picture of the, the birth of the Messiah is portrayed there, and then she is carried away into the wilderness, and it's, we're told that she is taken to the wilderness to be protected, to be kept safe. And as we looked at there, we came to see that the protection wasn't a protection from suffering and persecution. We know, as the Church of Christ, that we will suffer, that we will face persecution, but it is an ultimate uh, protection, that nothing will be able to pluck us from our Father's hand. Or as we read this morning, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's the safety that is being portrayed there in the wilderness for the bride of Christ. The prostitute is described as seductive, immoral, dressed in the finest clothes, and a picture of luxury with her golden cup in hand. And then we are told in verse 6 who the prostitute is. We don't have to guess. She is Babylon the Great. The prostitute is an image of Babylon. So here we have a symbol of a symbol. And the reason for this is to help us understand that an aspect of Babylon that is used in Revelation, we're going to see this even more as we go on, is this seductive or this alluring component. And so the next question that comes up is, what or who is Babylon the Great? We read this morning from Daniel chapter 4, the account of Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the first time that we see the term Babylon the Great. It was Nebuchadnezzar who, in a sense, coined the term because he looked and, full of pride and arrogance, realized that his empire and the city in which he stood, that was the capital of that empire, was great. And he proclaimed it, and God judged him immediately. And then God restored him, as we saw. Well... Babylon, and in this picture, the prostitute, will suffer the same demise in her arrogance. This is, becomes then a template for how we are to understand Babylon. I don't want you to forget this. this. is why we read the text this morning. That picture of pride and arrogance that's portrayed by Nebuchadnezzar, that's key to understanding what Babylon is as we try and identify 
this system in the world. It is portrayed as a city, but it's more than a city. It's a worldview. It is a mindset. It is a world system. It involves not just one thing, but many things working in collaboration. And it's certainly the seductive and the sensual nature of the culture. It calls its people to pursue pleasure as well as be objects of pleasure. And think here in our own context of Hollywood, of the fashion industry, of the media and entertainment complex. Today it involves social media and the influence that has over people's lives. Think of of how social media tells us what to feel or how to feel meaningful. Think of how social media stirs up envy by comparing our lives with other people's lives. Think of how it lures us to create a public persona that's just a caricature of our reality. I'm going to stop and say this now, and I will probably say it again. I'm not saying get off social media or don't watch a movie or listen to the radio or watch the news or any of these things. Our tendency is to do this because there's a little Pharisee in every one of us that just wants us to make checklists, right? Okay, if I just eliminate these things, then all my life will just be filled with blessing and goodness. As we're going to see, Babylon is not just something out there. It is something that comes right here and gets very close to us. So this isn't about just, you know, making lists and, 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 and checking them twice, so to speak. It, it, this, is about, uh, this is a matter of our hearts. However, I'm speaking of these specific things because these are often avenues that lure us into the world system without us even noticing it. Uh, Clayton and I had not even talked about this, but him mentioning I'd made a mistake by turning on the news this morning. It wasn't sinful to turn on the news this morning, but in the sense of it distracts, it lures away, it causes anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and all of these things in our minds. We just need to recognize that that potential is there. We need to be careful. Don't become a little legalist with this stuff. Yet it is more than just the sensual that we've just talked about. It's also wrapped up in economics and trade. This is going to come out more in chapter 18, more clearly in chapter 18. Think here of Wall Street. Think of the pursuit of wealth. Think of success being rooted rather in financial prosperity. There's overlap with Hollywood, with the media complex and the entertainment complex. It's not hard to see that in our own world. Also, we could see how social media, again, plays a part more and more leading people to portray themselves as successful, right? We post pictures of our greatest successes. Very few people use social media to show the messes in their lives, right? What do we see? Dream vacations. And then when we see other people's dream vacations, we think, why don't I have a dream vacation? And we begin to envy and want and lust. Babylon was a city. So there's a city component to this. Think of how cities often capture what we're seeing here, what's being described here. Again, we can't become legalists with this. This doesn't mean that we we say we're never going to leave Vero again. God blessed us putting us in this kind of rural uh, area and we're protected from all the woes of the city. There are many good things in cities to enjoy. There are even beautiful things in cities to enjoy. There's nothing inherently evil about a city. And yet, we often and clearly see how cities capture what we're seeing here. The sensual allure, the identity found in riches, the entertainment realm. A city like New York, a city like Bangkok, a city like Paris. If you've been to these large cities, you see how they oftenly capture what is being seen here in this symbol. 
There are dangers. We must be aware of them. So I've thought throughout this week how to capture what we see symbolized in Babylon, symbolized by the prostitute. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I do want us to understand it. I may refine this more later, but this is where I am at this point. My best attempt to explain or to help us understand the concept of Babylon and the prostitute is the word cool. Now, I realize when I say cool, I date myself. To some of you, I date myself as younger, and to some of you, I date myself as older. Today, that concept is captured in words like sick, fire, yeet, dope, fleek, and lit. And I've just dated myself by saying those words, so I'll go back. In the 90s, everything was awesome. In the 80s, everything was boss. In the 70s, everything was groovy. And we can go back further to the time when it was nifty, swell, peachy king, and neato. I think I covered just about everybody here, or at least you understand where I'm going. I am not saying that being cool is sinful. The notion of what is cool is trendy and fickle and changes really moment by moment. You can be perceived of as cool without the knowledge of it or without even trying. What I am saying is the attempt to try and be cool may easily cross the line into sin. There is an idol in our hearts that raises its head quite easily, an idol that wants to be loved, respected, and even adored. It is an idol in our hearts that supplants the worship due our God and puts ourselves in his place. It is the idol that casts off the concern about sin be they lies, theft, lust, and deception, and will by any means necessary seek the adoration of others. This may come in a brand or a logo on your clothing. It may be the hood ornament on the car that indicates your status. It may be your physique and how you portray your body. It may come in the way you talk, in the names you drop, or through gossip. It may be in what neighborhood you live or your identity and your vocation or where you went to school. We could go on and on, but here's what I want us to see. The matter at hand is not having these things. By any standard in the world, all of us are wealthy. So so don't don't think to yourself, well, I, I haven't spent as much money on a vehicle as that person, so I'm good. I didn't buy a house in that neighborhood, so I'm okay. That's that little legalist that's coming up. That's don't go there. This is ultimately a matter of our hearts. It is what we want, what we desire within. It's not just out there. Babylon comes really close because it comes right here. James 4, 1-4 states, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That is Babylon. Babylon is friendship with the world. That's why she is portrayed as a prostitute. It is adultery with the world. It is pursuing the passions of the world. And none of us, none of us, 
are immune to this. Now, to put it in a more academic, theological nutshell, Greg Beale describes Babylon as the prevailing economic religious system in alliance with the state and its related authorities as it exists in various forms throughout the ages. What did did, uh, John have in mind? John certainly had in mind Rome. But it wasn't just the government of Rome, it was the worldview of Rome. And so it's not just that we see problems in governing authorities, but we see problems in secular humanism, the prominent mindset of our own day. This is Babylon. It's not just out there, it's here. John is shown the system as a prostitute, as he is taken into the wilderness. Why is he taken into the wilderness? There is, there's different ideas on this, but the prominent idea, and the one I agree with, is that he's taken into the wilderness for the same reason the church was, for protection. Because John is not immune to this allurement either. Look in verse 6. He says, I marveled greatly. He was amazed at this woman. It is the Turkish delight of Edmund's relationship with the witch in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've ever read the book or seen the movie, you know that that scene where Edmund becomes so captivated with what he wants, the sweet Turkish delight, that he literally walks into enslavement with the witch because he wants that so bad. That's Babylon. Babylon is a matter of the heart. It is a system we can see it at work. We do see uh, you know, the, the evidence of it at work. But it's a system that can quickly and stealthily capture our hearts as well. And so looking in verse 1, we see John invited by one of the angels uh, who carried the bowls of wrath to come and see something. And that something is this judgment that is being pronounced upon Babylon. The world system that in John's day is portrayed as Rome, and I would say in our own day uh, could be summed up as secular humanism. Now, there's little question that John has Rome in mind. We see evidence of that throughout Revelation. That doesn't mean that Babylon is limited to Rome because Rome is past, and yet the system of Babylon still exists. It has manifested itself in various forms and in various ways throughout the history of the church. The picture that the angel shows John is of this prostitute seated on many waters. And we see that in verse 5 that the prostitute is Babylon the Great. We see in verse 15 that the many waters represent uh, the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So there's a sense that what John is seeing is there's a system Babylon, pictured here as a prostitute, sitting on many waters. You have to think of Babylon in its, in its historical uh, uh, concept or context. Babylon sat on the Euphrates, but it had its own canal system. Uh, canals that connected the city, that allowed for transportation and commerce, that allowed for them to irrigate and maintain their, their uh, agricultural work, among other things. So the picture that's being uh, described here is a system that is interconnected. It is at work everywhere. There's nothing that is left untouched. And today, we are connected in some of the same ways, through transportation, through commerce, through trade, but also in the other ways we've talked about, through entertainment, through news, through social media. In fact, I would argue that we are more connected today as a world than we have ever been And so the image being painted here is a system that affects the whole world. There is no culture, no people group that is immune to this system. 
And again, this is not only because of the interconnectedness, because it is not only out there, but it is in here as well. We can become captivated. We can marvel at this woman that's being portrayed. Verse 2 goes on to describe how the world leaders have intimately interacted with, adopted, and put into practice this system of the world. They have become intoxicated. They have not only embraced it, but they have put it to work. They are the influencers, the early adopters, the people of impact that lead other people around the world to buy into the system. Think of how we hear the news today. We're in a time that people are able to only hear the news and believe it's true if the people they like say that it's true. Have you noticed that? It's true on, on if you say both sides, right? It's, it's, it's just it's the way we're, we're polarized. Think of how we have lists of the sexiest people alive, the most influential people alive, the most powerful people today, the, most, the richest. And every year a new list gets published. Why do we care? Think of how fickle fashion and technology trends can be. You remember leg warmers and fingerless gloves in the 80s? What about the little Healy tennis shoes in the 2000s that kids zoomed around on? Beanie Babies and Silly Bands, MySpace and Fidget Spinners, the Pet Rock. We could go way back and talk about flagpole sitting and dance marathons and poodle skirts. And if you lived through any one of these things, you almost certainly knew at least one person who became obsessive about the trend. Why do we care? Why do we care about fads? Why do we care about news being only from one side? Why do we care about the richest, the most powerful, the most influential, the sexiest? Because there is something within each of us that desires and craves worship, adoration, acceptance, and respect. There is something within us that wants other people to envy us for what we have, what we've done, or who we are. And so this system... That is Babylon, is this alluring power that draws us to give in and compromise and do foolish things. That is Babylon. John is then carried away in verse 3 into the wilderness, and here he sees the woman differently. Instead of sitting over the water, she is now seated on the beast, and the beast is described. We're going to talk more about what the description of the beast means next week. But here, what this tells us about the woman is her allegiance to the beast. So the beast, we already know, is the pawn of Satan. So we now understand that this, too, is a system of Satan. The woman is portrayed as dressed in the best, the most enviable, the most expensive clothing. Royalty wore scarlet and purple. These were the most expensive things. This was to communicate wealth. This is how the wealthy dressed in John's time. Further, we see that she's adorned in gold and jewels and pearls. Not only is she dressed to the hilt, but she holds in her hand a cup, a golden cup, and it says to everyone, I have the best things. But then we quickly learn that the cup is filled with all kinds of filth. And it takes us back to the words of Jesus, who said to the religious leaders of his day, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What is on the outside Um, displays what is in our hearts. Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words and our actions demonstrate what is in our hearts. 
Verse 5 then brings us to the sign, the identity of the woman. She is Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And again, this phrase coming from Nebuchadnezzar tells us what her end will be. It will be the same as his. She will be humbled. She will be judged. And then the rest of the chapter will unfold and explain why John calls her this great mystery. However, I want us to see today that the system is not just deceptive and misleading. The system has become intoxicated on the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. It tells us something about the system. that The system is not only complicit, it not only celebrates, it is actively involved in the attempt to destroy the people of God. It's not only external in the sense of the persecuted church. I think that's where many of our minds go and should go. Uh, that is certainly true. But it is also internal as well. The worldly system... And we see evidence of this again and again and again. The worldly system has a way of infecting the church. And we see this corporately through false teaching. We see it happen when the leaders fall in sin. And we see it through the foundation crumbling effects of churches who, I think with the best of intentions, want to be relevant, but they end up embracing the culture in that effort. And they lose the gospel. It also happens individually as well for us who are members of Christ's church when we live duplicitous lives, when we fail to love as Christ has loved us, when we put our hope in people, in governments or political parties, and when we become intoxicated by this world system to the point that we become complacent, indifferent, or just distracted. You ever see that happen in your heart where you you find yourself... Uh, I don't want to pick on Clayton, but it may just be something like turn on the news. And then you, you waste like 30 minutes just angry. The reason I know this is because I do this. You know, I'm, I'm with you, those of you who struggle. It's so easy to just be pulled, distracted, pulled away, and waste your time on things that don't really matter. Once again, may we hear the words of exhortation from Revelation 14. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Now, as we move on, we'll see Babylon judged. We see this worldly system come to destruction. But here, may we take pause. May we guard ourselves lest we become seduced. Again, I want to say, don't turn this into legalism. Don't let let yourself think that it's just a matter of not buying certain things or participating in certain things or doing certain things. Yes, there are things that as believers we should say no to. However, the matter that is before us is a matter of our hearts. And so what one person may have the freedom to do, you may not, because you see where it leads your heart. I wish I had the freedom to drive a Porsche. But you know what would happen to my heart if I did? I'd like to just try, just to see. No, I'm kidding. Where are our hearts led astray? How are we lured into desires to be admired and respected? What draws us toward finding our identity in worldly things? That's what we have to think about. What is it? Do you feel different when you wear a certain logo? Do you find your identity in people perceiving you a certain way in certain settings? 
On Friday, I listened to the podcast, The World and Everything In It. I've mentioned it to you before. I commend it to you. It's a daily podcast that has kind of news and sound bits. And in this particular episode, John Stone Street spoke about, uh, it was really focused on social media. I don't want us to hear this just about social media. This speaks to the entire system that we have talked about today. Listen to what he says. He says, a culture that worships celebrity is a culture that chooses style over substance. It's a culture that chooses posturing over loving and caring. The message coming out of all of these mediums is you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and you're always being left out. And to have a life of significance, you have to be noticed and you have to be liked. And not liked in any sort of real sense. Not like despite who you are, but you actually have to have a little thumbs up click on some image or something that you have. Otherwise, the devastating potential is that you don't matter. What a terrible, terrible message. That description fits the entire system of the beast. This system that is Babylon In other words, it's not about your external conformity. It's about your heart. And Satan wants to deceive and devour. He is like a lion. And he uses these systems to do so. So where do we find our hope in the midst of the storm? Jesus says to us today, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. That's where your identity is. That's it. Doesn't matter what you wear, what you drive, where you live, what you've done, what you haven't done. When life falls apart, your identity is in the fact that He has redeemed you. He has called you by name. He has said, you are precious and I love you. And He's chosen you. That's where your identity is. No matter what life throws at you, that's who you are. Look to Him who has redeemed you and made you His own. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Your identity is not in the things of this world, but in him alone. I read this morning from James 1, or 4 rather, 1 to 4. Let me pick up in verse 5. The scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is where, that is how we approach the system of the world. Fleeing the devil, drawing near to God. But, but don't, don't just lock into those two verses. Go back, get the whole context. He opposes the proud. He opposed Nebuchadnezzar. And he opposes Babylon and will one day judge it. So pride is really what he's going after here. Where we find our identity, where we find our hope, where we find our value. Is it in the stuff that we have, that we've done, or that we might get? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And so may we say, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. 
But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let's pray. Father, would you take all of this and make it make sense? Would you help us to see it? Take my bumbling words and ideas and, and Lord, make it make sense. By your Spirit's work within us, help us to see so that we're not seduced and led astray by our own pride, our own desires for things, the things that are inside or by that which is out that, that even John sought to marvel at. May we not be seduced. Would you guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus by seeing and understanding our identity is in Him and his, Him alone. And may we not be tempted to boast in anything that we've done. Be they gifts, power, wisdom, but also be they self-discipline or spiritual discipline or righteous acts. May we not boast in any of those things, but may we boast in Christ alone. Would you help us to see our great salvation that has been given to us in Him? And would you help us be on guard to live lives pleasing to you, that we might shine the light of the hope that we have toward others? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.